The following is brought to you by Michael Bolick, The Joe Q Car Show, Olin and Angela, Andy Beach, Nick Wood, Will Harris, and Craig. Politics, 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 politics. Hello and welcome everybody to a Tuesday edition of the Politics, Politics, Politics program. My name is Justin Robert Young, 14 days away from the election on October 20th, 2020, 10, 20, 20, 20. It's one of those dates you would have seen on a sci-fi movie box. And now here we are living the dream. Uh, so this is going to be a very, very quick episode. I wanted to give you guys uh, a, a, an immediate reaction to a story that broke yesterday. And then uh, I wanted to also uh, give you guys a little treat. Well, maybe it's a treat. Ya boy, was it talking head. Last Thursday, I was invited last minute on the RT Network. Formerly Russia Today. Ah, yes. I'm sure many of you, even now, have very, very, very strong feelings about the RT network. In fact, I suspect that they might be almost as strong as my feeling to use any platform I can to be able to spread the message for which I cultivate on this show. And so what I wanted to do was uh, I edited together all of my clips from that interview. You can go watch it yourself. I'll link it in the show notes. Uh, it's two and a half hours. So I, I, I figured you guys didn't need two and a half hours where uh, three fourths of it were not me talking because this is the me podcast. But you can get a sense of, of what it was like and the kind of questions that were asked they were very pleasant. I, I can't say that I feel any more allegiance to Mother Russia after having been a talking head on RT, but you can tell for yourself because uh, I'm going to play all the clips I had on that talking head segment a little bit later. But first, Politics. two announcements, and they came in quick uh, proximity to each other. The Commission on Presidential Debates determined that they would be muting the mics of the candidates during Thursday's debate. Now, this will not be around the horn style Tony Reale mic muting. There will be no editorial decision, at least according to their statement, but I do have a question about that. Instead, they said that the opening responses from each candidate that goes two minutes will be allowed to be uninterrupted because the mics will be muted from the other podium. So when the question comes in, what do you think about carpools? And Joe Biden starts talking about, well, you know, my dad told me, Joey, carpools are like the oceans of the road or whatever stuff he likes to say. Donald Trump won't be able to come over the top and be like, your son smoked crack. Or at least he will, but you'd only be able to hear it on um, Biden's mic. Now, 
This is probably the most diplomatic way that you could mute mics during a debate. I will re- reiterate from the very, very beginning that now the, the Overton window of this conversation has moved so far beyond this point. I will only just state it for the record. I don't think that the, that the, the debate commission should be changing anything. Your, your job, make somebody walk away. Your job is to set the peace. Once you've brokered the peace, that's it. You're not the cops after that, in my opinion. But they are. And if they're going to do it, this seems the most reasonable way to do it. You're not putting the onus on somebody in the control room. You're certainly not putting the onus on the moderator. I think that's a lot of pressure. And I don't think anybody is tuning in for the referees. They're tuning in for the players, and the players are the candidates. My caveat question. They say this will only be for the opening statement. And that the opening statement is two minutes. However, does that mean, since these opening statements often go over two minutes that they are going to leave the mics muted until they're done talking. Or once that red light goes on, does that mean that the other mic is unmuted and now the other candidate has a chance to interrupt? Because in the world of unintended consequences, that might keep these opening statements to a pretty tight two, which might not be the worst thing in the world. Here's the other big announcement, and it was what everybody was waiting for, the other shoe to drop. Will Trump drop out? And according to both his campaign manager, Bill Sepian, and uh, Donald Trump on Air Force One, he's in. They lambasted the commission, but they're not giving up their chance to do this debate. All right, this is breaking as I'm recording, so... I don't have a ton of analysis on it, but let me just read you the news. The Justice Department and several Republican-led states filed an antitrust lawsuit against Google on Tuesday, unleashing the might of the United States government against one of Silicon Valley's most powerful companies. The complaint was filed in D.C. federal court. Eleven Republican attorney generals representing Arkansas, Florida, Georgia, Indiana, Kentucky, Louisiana, Mississippi, Missouri, Montana, South Carolina, and Texas also signed on to the complaint. The administration's suit coming just two weeks before Election Day is the most concrete manifestation yet of Washington's growing bipartisan anger against the tech tech giant's heft and wealth. But with no Democratic attorney generals joining the DOJ's case, it raises questions about the lawsuit's future in a potential Joe Biden administration. DOJ and the state spent months attempting to find common ground. Those AGs are expected to file their own bipartisan antitrust case in the coming weeks targeting Google's dominance. The complaint accuses Google of abusing its command of the online search market to stifle competitors. The complaint itself does not say what fixes DOJ will pursue. A recommendation will be made later. One possibility, the Justice Department could push for the court to require the company to sell off parts of its operation and what would be the biggest national breakup of a corporate giant on antitrust grounds since AT&T was dismembered in the 80s. 
I got to know more about this before I comment on it. We will have more in our episode tomorrow. We'll see if I can wrangle us a tech guest so uh, we can break it down in full. But the antitrust case we knew was coming against Google, the most consequential since the DOJ went after Microsoft back in the day. It's here. All right, here are my clips from RT. I want to thank uh, the host, Ben Swan, who is the voice you will hear, uh, as well as the other panelists that were on this show with me, Lauren Chen of The Blaze, Dr. Carolyn Borshenko, and former weapons inspector, Scott Ritter. Oh, they were all there with your boy, cutting it up, talking politics. A reminder that this was all recorded in the immediate aftermath of both the town halls, so the information will be uh, dated accordingly. Here we go. Let's bring in now, um, I believe we have Justin Young with us and Dr. Carolyn Boryshenko are both with us now. We've been mentioning they would be coming in, so we'll bring them into the conversation the court. That's not packing the court, Uh, Justin. That's clearly uh, a, a shift in language that almost becomes justification language, doesn't it? Well, they're not packing the court. They are doing what the Constitution says that a president should do. The issue is that the Biden campaign is trying to have things multiple ways. As uh, uh, one of the previous guests said, uh, they are actively trying to, A, not alienate progressives, and B, court what I'm calling Kasich Democrats, people that John Kasich or Cindy McCain speaks to. So they have to walk this line. It's the reason why the ACB hearings have been far quieter than the Kavanaugh hearings, which was effectively a twisted metal, uh, uh, there can be no survivors flamethrower showdown uh, that spilled out into the press and became a no holds barred uh, uh, fight. This has been relatively quiet. We had Dianne Feinstein hugging Lindsey Graham at the end as if this were some uh, 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 enlightened centrism love fest uh, by the end of the questioning today. The problem for Joe Biden is these issues don't matter. Nobody really cares about uh, packing the court. We care because we're paid to talk about things. But the average citizen in the middle of a hundred year pandemic doesn't care about the actual layout of how the Supreme Court works. What Joe Biden has to do is make this not an issue that has people pissed off. And I think he's done fairly well at it, but the longer he has sound bites like, I will not answer this question, the worse it is for him. Yeah, I think if he if he just came out and said, yeah, I'm going to pack it. Neither of them answering, no, this is not on the table. We know exactly where they stand. Justin, you wanted to comment on that too. Yeah, look, uh, uh, Donald Trump gave a very, very similar answer tonight during his town hall. He said that uh, he would not comment on whether or not he wanted to see Roe versus Wade repealed because he didn't want to influence what people will think about Amy Coney Barrett. Uh, That is essentially the exact same strategy that Joe Biden is playing here. He is trying to not muddy the waters because he believes that will complicate what he wants. The fact of the matter is that Democrats right now believe they are in a glide path to victory. They are up. 21 points in the final quarter of the game, and all they have to do is not throw interceptions and make the the, the 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 other team go as slow as possible, and they will win. The confidence right now on the Democratic side is at an all-time high. Now, whether or not that's warranted, we will see in a couple weeks. But the reason why they have effectively, and I mean the Democrats here, seeded the idea of the Supreme Court, and that is an issue for which my entire life 
Democrats have gotten, and Republicans have gotten people to the polls by saying the court might tip. They have seeded this issue. They are allowing Amy Coney Barrett to be on that court and effectively tip it for Republican appointees because they are so sure that they would rather have Joe Biden in the White House than fight on this issue. Well, but, I, I have to no, say, I, I think the that comparing the two. Go ahead. I'm sorry. Like I, I have to say, I think comparing yeah, the two with, with what Donald Trump said tonight in in his town hall with what um what Joe Biden has said with refusing to answer this question, that is a completely false equivalency. Donald Trump is responding directly to what's going on in these confirmation hearings, where they are trying every which way from Sunday to get out of ACB what she what she plans to do, and his lack of response is simply saying, "I'm not going to send signals either way." Listen, she's not confirmed yet. Obviously, this is a very high priority to Donald Trump, and I. I just don't think it's fair to compare the two and say he's doing the exact same thing because he's doing it for completely different reasons. And I think we know you know that. No, no, no. And, and not right. to mention, okay, so obviously, whether, whether Roe versus Wade be overturned, it's not up to Donald Trump. No, Correct. he can have an opinion. Okay, so he's a pro politician. Every pro life politician has the exact same opinion on Roe versus Wade. That's not that's not weird, right? Right. So the question isn't about the opinion, though. It's it's about policy, about about changing the court. It's a it's a different it's a different setup. But but let's talk about uh, another statement that came up during the Biden campaign tonight. We have another clip, and this one's somewhat controversial. I'm interested to see how you guys respond to it. Let's go ahead and play the clip. The idea that an eight-year-old child or a ten-year-old child decides, you know, I decided I want to be transgender. That's what I think I'd like to be. It may make my life a lot easier. There should be zero discrimination. There should be zero determination. So, um, Carlin, let's start with you on that. You're a psychologist. What do you think about that? I think that, listen, I think that th there do need to be conversations uh, was, about how to. Let me ask this, Justin, do you think that was a legitimate question uh, in this town hall? Because for certainly a president wouldn't have a lot to do with uh, and I couldn't even exactly tell what the context was. An eight-year-old wants to transition, whether or not there should be discrimination. What I'm not sure what the term for discrimination would be in this case surrounding that. But is that a question that just becomes provocative or is it an actual policy question? Uh, I can actually give you context there. The question was asked by a woman who yeah. has a transgender child. Uh, and she was asking what Joe Biden would do to reverse what she viewed as anti-transgender legislation by the Trump administration. Uh, Joe Biden made what we like to call in the business an unforced error. Uh, whenever you mix eight years old and should be allowed to transition in the same sentence, that's not something that even somebody that is running as a pro-transgender uh, right candidate like Joe Biden should be saying. Because with parents, you start to get into how the government or a, a national leader is saying how you should uh, uh, teach or, or put boundaries on your child, that's never something that is usually a winning position. Uh, and that's something that I have no opinion on personally because I am a Bay Area cuck that has three parrots uh, that gets upset uh, mostly with when I need to reorder seed from Amazon. So I will defer to anybody with actual children either on the panel or in the audience. But politically, that was an unforced error by Biden. It was a, uh, a poor choice of words. And it's going to lead to, in my opinion, a round of coverage for the next 24 hours, specifically Lauren, in conservative was it, circles. Lauren, do you think that it was a, a mistake for him to answer the way that he did? I think it absolutely that, that Trump is spending too much time defending himself and not enough time, you know, trying to make the case for himself is too much time being spent on the defense. 
uh, yes. Uh, for for the record, uh, I am voting for my mom this election. So uh, I am not. That's literally just where the <laughs> debate come on this show. Uh, the uh, uh, yes, I actually agree. I totally agree that Donald Trump is being far too aggressive. He was being far too aggressive in the debate, uh, and he was being aggressive too aggressive at the beginning of this particular town hall. It should come as no uh, surprise that Donald Trump uh, made better television than Joe Biden. He is uh, natural in front of the camera in a way that Joe Biden simply isn't. Big chungus equals ratings, and that's just simply how it's going to be until he retires from public life. The the bigger issue that I think is is on display here is Trump takes the bait because he enjoys fighting with media people. He feels like that that is the strength in which a latent conservative energy feeds off of. It is uh, a part of AM radio. It is a part of conservative media, the us versus them mentality, and the idea that there is somebody up there fighting with somebody who is part of the establishment media is very, very appealing, I think, to him and his brand. Where I agree with everybody who's saying that he's being too aggressive is that I thought the most presidential that he looked was when he was vlogging from Walter Reed Medi uh, Medical Center after he got COVID with his open collar and he was and he was just kind of like joking about how he had a younger wife. He felt like somebody that was a, a little bit more relatable and in that probably a little bit more presidential. Uh, I, I I thought this was not a terrible performance for him. And honestly, if there's one thing that could uh, at least put something to bed until the end of this particular election cycle. It's that he answered directly that he would submit to a peaceful transition of power, which I think is kind of a tempest in a teapot in terms of an issue. But he said the thing for anybody who was banging pots and pans until Donald Trump said the thing. He said the thing about a peaceful transition. Right. Of power. Uh, Justin, yeah, I'm glad we, you bring that yeah, up. Because we now enter the, the 10 o'clock hour on the East Coast. Uh, just kind of your thought as far as the three weeks that are left. What do you expect to see happen over the course of those next three weeks? Is the is the Hunter Biden story going to have legs? Is it going to um, shift some of the momentum in this campaign? Or with 17 million people already having voted, are we beyond the the so-called October surprise that so many kind of political pundits wait for? Uh, 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 re real quick to weigh back in on, on, on the QAnon thing, because I just want to say one thing. There is a very, very unique sure. issue with Donald Trump, the candidate, uh, if you look back at his uh, uh, pattern of behavior as a private citizen, this is a man who had a, a, a violently uh, a, a shooting opinions on the sex lives of the Twilight cast. He wants to go where people are talking about things. So he is always going to be attracted to people asking him about things like QAnon, whether or not he has any kind of opinion on it. That is something that he will always be attracted to. Although I think that for many people, even Trump supporters, they would say they wish that he could stay away from it. As for what's going to happen over the next three weeks, I do think that the Hunter Biden story is going to be as damaging for Joe Biden as Joe Biden fumbles it. I did not like his response officially that uh, they didn't think that, that, that this was totally fake. I, I thought when he just said, oh, it's not on our official schedules that, sem that seemed to me like a non-denial denial. The longer they play hardball against this, the more that people will begin to key in on it. Uh, I thought that the social media response to the Hunter Biden story was an absolute disgrace and that will prolong the story. But that being said, 
it is an October surprise in the more George W. Bush got a DUI with an old tennis player back in the 80s level of October surprise. It's something that's old that we probably have already processed by now. And we're in a very polarized country. So do I think it's going to affect anything? Not particularly. Do I think that this is going to be a close election? Absolutely. We are a very, very, very polarized nation. We have made our decision on who we are going to vote for based on issues that go far beyond whether or not Hunter Biden passed out smoking crack in his bed. Yeah, and, and Carlin, let me ask you this, because and we, we actually we have this, of, um, stream early. the Biden campaign. And so I, do you think I, that there is any chance, Carlin, of, of that being? Oh, go ahead. Go ahead, Justin. I mean, do you think that there's any legs to that? Look, number one, the most dangerous place in cyberspace to be is between Josh Hawley and a trending topic. So we shouldn't necessarily put a tremendous <laughs> amount of weight into the fact that he's somebody that is glomming onto something that's in the news. Number two, with all due respect, I do think that what you're saying is a fundamental misunderstanding of uh, uh, Section uh, uh, 230 or Fair Harbor, as it's often referred to in tech circles. You are allowed to censor things. The, the question is, are you allowed to, uh, are you legally obligated to uh, uh, allow things in before you censor them? Now, I'm saying this as somebody who thinks that what Facebook did was bad and what Twitter did was horrible. What we need are new laws that govern these social networks. The fact that we're relying on uh, Section 230, which has its roots in a library case, uh, or sorry, a bookstore case, is something that is unacceptable. It's much in the same way that the, a lot of our technology laws are based on old tech that really has no bearing on what we are looking at right now. Well, okay, listen though. But that's like, two, two years ahead, ago, hang on, two years ago, Jack Dorsey sent out a tweet saying that he is framing Twitter as the public square and Donald Trump is legally barred from blocking people on Twitter because Twitter is acting as the public square. And I think the reality is, and I'm not going to get into the nuances of 230 because I think that there needs to be reform in this whole thing. But if we agree that Twitter is the public square as the CEO of Twitter says it is, then there needs to be a conversation about when do we kick people out of the public square, particularly when we are in the midst of a pandemic where a lot of people aren't leaving their homes. And this is where the conversation around politics is happening. And this is going to be a very real concern. Now, this is only going to continue to increase in how big of a problem it is. We need to have a discussion about what these platforms should be permitted to do and when they should and if I guess if they should be permitted to censor or not. But are, are I mean, the I, platforms I, I, themselves say, digging their look, own? Look, but hold on. In yeah, sorry. Go ahead. No, I was just going to say, but are they digging their own hole, if you will, by by setting themselves up where they're creating the very problem that ultimately will be fixed? It's one thing when the problem is just kind of loosey-goosey and no one's really sure you know, who's responsible for it. It's another thing when you are clearly defining the problem by saying, we're going to pick and choose and we're going to set up this ridiculous system of so-called fact checkers that are unaccountable. Um, and even in the fact checking process, if you guys have done any looking into how fact checkers work, I mean, these are organizations that in many cases are bought and paid for. So how are those entities given authority to basically decide what you can and cannot see? It feels like they are creating their, their own restriction when it comes to ultimately the crackdown that is coming because one has to come at some point. Now, Justin, you can go. 
Looking for leadership in Jack Dorsey's office is like looking for sobriety at a Hunter Biden house party. You're not going to find it. I totally agree with you. I think that that the, the second that the social networks decided that they were going to start legislating truth, not a TOS, not harassment, but truth was the moment that they opened what I've been calling for years is a hashtag hell portal, hashtag portal to hell. This is there is a no win scenario for them. The idea that they tried to get together what they are going to sell as unbiased fact checkers is is laughable. I come from the world of journalism. I know how slippery facts are. I know how hard it is to nail down a story or a narrative that in any way can make the world clearer for your readership or viewership. This is an ongoing issue that you need to hold the line on just basic terms of service. So I, I, I totally agree. I think that they have opened up a world where there is going to be no choice, but a, a biased political system will enforce upon them reforms that I don't think were necessary in a social media world. Lauren, what about you? Well, I think the thing, I'm not sure how familiar you all with uh, the executive order that was put out. I, I, I'm very, very glad that you said that, because let's actually talk turkey here. We don't really want to get into the, the, the weeds on 230. Conservatives want to punish Facebook and Twitter and YouTube and any platform for which they believe they are being unfairly treated. This is not about making this law more fair. This is about making sure that these companies get sued because of a grievance between conservatives and those organizations, namely Google, Twitter, and Facebook. Well, okay, listen, I'm going to jump right, so in, and I'm, I'm not now. a conservative. Go ahead. Uh, hang on. Go I think on. this is an important point. I'm not a conservative, but I'm going to defend the conservatives on this one. I think Justin. Uh, look, I, I, I am an anti-war person. Uh, I, I do think that in general, if Trump supporters want to do a backflip and hand each other Sizzler gift certificates for how many people he's pulled out of the Middle East and brought back home, it's largely a press release kind of progress. The, 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 the troop numbers have not materially gone down, at least on the level that you would have expected uh, they would based on his rhetoric as a candidate, which I do think he should get credit for. He is somebody that was vehemently anti Iraq war that was part of what I think a lot of the mainstream media missed initially with him in, in defining him against, let's say, a more traditional conservative in uh, Jeb Bush or Marco Rubio. Do I think that we are more likely to go to war with a Biden presidency? It, it seems realistic to me. Uh, uh, yeah, probably, but not necessarily because I think he is particularly a warmonger more that uh, that style of uh, Obama Clinton uh, Obama Clinton foreign policy tends to bring us into either lukewarm or hot combat situations. So I mean, if past is prologue, then probably. Well, and, and governments you know, run. Do they feel like they're being duped? And and is this an issue that will play into this election, or are we too, too close? to this election for that to have an effect. Uh, James Carville famously said about uh, uh, Bill Clinton's win in 1992, it's the economy, stupid. I'm very, very, very much a believer in the idea that uh, in 2020, it's the virus, stupid. You have to have a coherent uh, point of view on the virus. I think that the Donald Trump campaign has been lacking in that. In fact, they've had two or three revamps on exactly 
their messaging. Uh, initially, it was, we want to look beyond it. We want to open things up. Uh, we then had the gigantic spike in largely Trump states in the Southeast, wherein he had to reframe his message. He then reframed his message again once he got COVID specifically. Do I think that people want to wear masks? Absolutely not. Do I think that people want to not have coronavirus front of mind? Absolutely. Uh, and, and ultimately, where Trump has failed is in being a president for whom you believe will competently be able to handle this going beyond. And I think that's gotten the way of what he wants to talk about, which is how the economy is going to continue to reopen. Because if you are not the guy that can handle it, you can't reopen the economy. This isn't something that's just going to go away. We now know that. The fact that Donald Trump has not taken credit for the fact that we test more than any country on earth that we trust the numbers for, because China says they test more than us, but they also say only 4,000 people have died. But there, that to me has been a major mistake on his part. Uh, he should be Trump the builder on this, and yet he hasn't. I don't think that Joe Biden's uh, stance is particularly better. Largely, uh, his uh, laundry list of things that he would do would uh, are either me too things that Donald Trump has kind of already done or ineffectual things like a mask mandate, which you can say that there's a mask mandate unless you go out and enforce it, which I think will be a whole nother issue, then it really is a lot of words and nothing much more. But Scott, we did see, and you know, Justin mentioned some of those Southern states uh, that a saw- A result that's gonna make America weaker, not stronger. Justin. Uh, well, as a, a young lad who came of age in South Florida during the 2000 election, I, I will say that although the chaos may come, I, I do think that we will survive it and it will probably be more boring than we might imagine. Uh, that being said, uh, I've been very North Star on this election from the very, very beginning of uh, uh, seeing where the uh, who the players might be. I think it's very hard to defeat an incumbent. Uh, I think that uh, the only way that you can defeat an incumbent is when there are extraordinary circumstances, as there were with Carter, uh, uh, with the Iranian hostage situation and the gas crisis. That I think we might have an analog now with COVID. So I do think it'll be extraordinarily close. I do think we'll have a winner within 72 hours. I don't think it's going to be quite as long as as people are are possibly predicting on the outer edges. But if I were to bet now, I will bet the same way that I bet two years ago and uh, uh, not look into the, uh, the, the, the noise uh, as it stands. And I would probably say that it will be very, very, very close and uh, Trump will win. But a Biden win would not surprise me in any way. And Carlin, you. Yeah, I actually find myself agreeing with both uh, Justin and Scott. Listen, I do well, walk panel, away rallies. I appreciate rallies you all tonight. Everything that you guys have shared. Thank you so much for being with us, sharing your insights, your thoughts with our audience. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. And and thank you to our audience for being with us tonight. For Thank you to the folks that booked me on that panel. Shameless, shameless reminder to anybody who might have any power booking for literally any television or radio or online outlet. You can always find your boy, Justin Robert Young, dropping those hilarious pearls of wisdom at theyoungamerican at gmail.com.
Thank you to everybody for joining us for this little bonus nugget. We went five wide last week for folks at the $3 Club. That is TakePoliticsSeriously.com. You join right now and you will get five podcasts a week until the end of uh, this election on election day one for only $6. For only $6. That's all you got to do. Because I'm putting out these on, on, on Tuesdays. That's five episodes. And I'm going to keep doing it. I'm going to keep finding fun little things that I can give to you guys on Tuesdays. So head on over there if you like to support it. TakePoliticsSeriously.com All right. That about wraps it up for us. We will uh, have Andrew Heaton on the show tomorrow, as is uh, our new tradition until election time. We'll talk more about this uh, Google antitrust case and anything else that pops up between now and then. But until we meet again, friends, this is your old pal Justin Robert Young saying some shows talk about politics, other shows talk about politics, and still more talk about politics. But this is the only program that talks about Diamond Club hopes you have enjoyed this program. (laughs) Dog and Pony Show Audio.